Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song Hello and welcome back to the like podcast As always up to speed with Formula One It is Thursday, September 22nd Something like that We'll go with the 22nd It is the first day of autumn My friend, how are you on this The most depressingest of days Summer well, is officially fine. gone I was fine until you shared that. For some reason, I was holding on to the last few days of summer, which must have escaped me because I've been so <laughs> so busy preparing for this show. No, I joke. Doing work, looking after the family, a little bit of prep on the side. But yeah, that's unfortunate because our summer ended up being pretty long and pretty hot. Not that anyone and- outside of the lower mainland cares. But- <laughs> it was also pretty awesome. And I was just enjoyed it uh, way too much because the thing is the way that the way that things go in the part of the world that we live in that once the sun goes and it gets gloomy and radiant wet, it's like that until like June of next year. So it's just yeah. like hold on to these last moments, these last vestiges, if that's a word of summer, because uh, I feel like it's it's just it's dwindling right before before our eyes. But we're not here to complain about the weather or the weather that hasn't even occurred yet, because there's certainly nothing to complain about this afternoon. It was another lovely day here in the Pacific Northwest or the Canadian Pacific Southwest to be a little bit more accurate. No one has uh, ever said that before. It's the Pacific Northwest. I know, but we're breaking ground here. I just made a new, I coined a new term. So there you go. Okay. It's, uh, I, I'm just, yeah, yeah. So we'll, let's move on that as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but interesting, you know, I was completely out of sync with the, the F1 calendar. I actually thought until, I guess what was it was yesterday morning, Wednesday morning, that there was actually a Grand Prix to look forward to this week. And I was thinking that, uh, okay, when we sit down to record the, this week's show, Usually, by the time we get close to wrapping up, at least for a lot of the European races, we get pretty close to about the time the first practice session starts going. And then I went to go look at the timing for it and realized, shoot, you know, there's not another race for another 10 days (laughs) until we get to Singapore. So that was a slightly depressing and and sobering moment, I must admit. I would love to say I I sat on my throne and glared down at your your ignorant your ignorant soul but to be totally honest I discovered that there was no grand prix this weekend when you texted me telling me that you had realized there was no Grand Prix this weekend. So I probably would have gone into this show ready to talk about Singapore. So it's very bizarre the way that the calendar is built, that you have this super aggressive European continental triple header, and then you've got this huge, surprisingly huge break. And again, everyone involved in Formula One, they deserve the time off. Absolutely. But it's very peculiar. Also, 
we'll get to it a little bit later when we look at that 2024 or sorry 2023 calendar. Uh, there'll be no more no more breaks like this, and I think we're hmm. looking forward to three triple headers yeah, next it's, year. It's going to be a grind next year for sure. Hey, are you ready for some education? Do you need to be educated tonight? Because yes. we we yes. we got some we got some comments on last week's live stream that uh, that were very educational, and I'm going to read them out because remember, like out of the middle, like out of left field, I dropped uh, the the comment about breaking a duck, and I didn't have any idea <laughs> yes. where that came from. Yes. Anyways, Alex Smith was watching the the, the YouTube video, and because we were trying to figure out like what it actually meant. I mean, we both come from from British families, but you know, admittedly, cricket is not really in like on my side of the family is either golf or rugby anyhow um so alex pointed out and he said a duck is when you get out in cricket without scoring a run a point and when he put it in bracket so trying to break a duck means you're trying to get runs points before you get out when you get a duck and cricket is embarrassing the, the animation of a duck walking with a cricket back comes on the screen yes it's the same as a goose egg because eggs look like zeros but was a shortened to duck so there you go and then i figured out where i i must have heard the term from and my dad would uh, be all over and disappointed uh, in me for not knowing this but i work with a lot of indian people like people from uh, india and indian heritage and of course cricket's a very big sport and i i realized i must have heard people talking about because they talk about cricket all the time so i think i just sort of by osmosis or whatever i just kind of uh, uh, absorbed that term and then completely applied it in the completely incorrect manner and then <laughs> tried to make it sound like i was knew what i was talking about so i should i should also give a shout out to a couple of our i've got one in front of me but we had some of our great listeners that reached out on twitter with explanations as well so there this one go. is to a uh, vib have pant um at vib have pant on twitter he says listen Listen to your recent pod about breaking a duck. I believe this is a term from cricket. In cricket, if a batter gets out in zero, it's called a duck. So breaking a duck means scoring first run, moving away from zero. Another term used in cricket is golden duck, which means getting oh. out in zero in the very first ball batter faced. And he continues, thank you so much. This is the kindest thing. As always, you guys are doing a great job. I especially love the news podcast. And just on that note, uh, it was really heartening over the last couple of days that we got so much great feedback about the fact that we're back to the grind. We've got our regular yep. cadence back. We're doing the backbone of the show, which is which is the news show. I, it's our Thursday, Friday news show. So uh, I felt really great with all the positive feedback and it just motivates us to, to do an even better job. And just know as well that while we've been doing a lot of supplemental stuff this year, we've been doing a lot of interviews and book club, just know that that never takes away from the news show. The news show is the backbone. You and me sitting down yep, hashing out the 100%. latest story so everything else is supplemental complementary so just just know that don't think we're ever kind of shifting away from what uh what makes the show so great i was going to say that the the weekly news show is the foundation upon the entire entire pardon me scuderia f1 empire empire or pyramid yep. but i realize it's more of like a house of cards so you know <laughs> <laughs> you know I, i'm not going to try and like self-gloss or pump up our own tires I, I i'm fully aware that it's, it's it's a house of cards rather than than an empire but uh, of course our self-deprecating humor is something that we're we're, we're somewhat known for but uh, anyways this is the point of the podcast where i try to skillfully 
maneuver out of the the awkward opening to the show. Uh, first of all, a couple of shout outs. You wanted to, what was the first one you wanted to do? Race Weekend, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, Race Weekend promotion. So if you don't know, both Mr. Daly and I are huge advocates of the publication that is produced by Magnus Graves. It is fantastic. It is called Race Weekend. It is published quarterly. It is an oversized coffee table-like book with some of the most beautiful Formula One photography and writing that you're going to see. Our good friend Elizabeth Blackstock has contributed extensively in the past, including a recent interview with Daniel Ricardo. Just a reminder, and again, we don't come out here flexing flossing. I don't know the term. We don't come out here and promote much, uh, but this is something that we feel is worth promoting. And if you are interested in checking it out, there is a 10% coupon code if you want to drop Skidaria Pod into the coupon code box when you're checking out. Uh, It means a lot to us and we highly, highly recommend it because we know you're going to like it. And one other quick thing too is I sat down this morning and I, I shouldn't be dismissive of this because he gave me an hour of his time, which is absolutely amazing. And as a huge fan of the ringer, I was absolutely I was absolutely blown away that he has he was willing to sit down and talk F1, but Kevin Clark of the Ringer Spotify Podcast Network obviously covers the NFL. He's covered the NFL for many years, Washington uh, Street or Wall Street Journal. Um, and uh, of course, been with the Ringer, I think since 2016. He and I sat down today, talked about his journey, his experience, his time in the media, and of course, his passion and love for F1. So because there's no F1 Grand Prix this weekend, expect that that's probably going to drop on Monday. It's a great hour-long conversation. Totally recommend you check it out. Kevin was fantastic, gracious, funny, hilarious. It was really, really, really good. And then just one other thing as well. Shout out to JT the Human once again for allowing us to indulge in his fantastic intro and, and outro music. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to uh, listen to that one with you and Kevin. That sounds like uh, it's going to be a... Well, well, I'll make sure you drop it early so we all have it in our podcast feed because I I haven't uh, heard it yet either. And it sounds like the perfect way to kick off a new week, which we shouldn't promote too much because we're all kind of easing into Friday. We want to get this week over first before we have to embrace the suck for next week and kind of get get right back into it. But anyway, something to look forward to uh, for for Monday morning. Another shout out uh, for Red Racer Books, a good friend of the show, Andy Amendola. They've launched their second book, All of about race cars so what uh, what more can you tell us about him uh oh, about it, that hammy so it looks fantastic so if you don't know yeah. andy has been producing a series well now it's a series because there's yeah, more than one now. but these beautiful children books he he published one uh probably it feels like it was a couple of months ago but it was probably much earlier this year um a beautiful yeah. book designed to get children interested and curious about formula one beautifully mm-hmm. laid out this one is a little bit more advanced and starts to get into some of the more technical concepts of cars again it's geared towards that young four five six seven eight year old audience it's beautifully illustrated talks about some really great subjects if you haven't checked out the first one make sure you do you can find them on amazon but totally worth checking out i personally uh, bought the first one for my son i love it and i haven't done it yet but i need to go out and buy the second one because i know my son's gonna love that one just as much very very cool okay so now i'm gonna put you on the spot fantasy updates as he takes a big swig from his beverage here uh, <laughs> casually yeah do you have a fantasy update for us or should we come back to that do i have a what 
a fantasy update. Oh, you said I, it's right my here. My apologies. I thought you said something very different. I, I, okay. I, and I, I don't, I don't want to know what that was. Yeah. I don't know what it, what it, was, it was because, you know, just by that look in your eyes, it, it's, I it, you, it sounds a little bit seedy or a little I th- bit... Uh, I literally thought you say, do you have a fantasy you want to share with us? I'm like... Not, okay. not, not this early in a podcast. Right <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do have a fantasy update, so I'll make this super quick because everyone's heard this one a couple of times. Just running through the top 10, tons of UK presence here. Absolutely. British Invasion continues. Andrew T, number one, 3,262 points. Adam J from Canada, 3,240. Whitman R from Canada, 3,187. Thaddeus F from the UK, 3,173. Uh, number four... I'm peering at my screen because I can't read the small writing. Janko West, 3,123 points. Number six, Jesse H, 3,122. Number seven, from Canada, Noah F, 3,110 points. Number eight, Ludwig Y, 3,107 points. Number nine, Marshall W, also from the UK, easy, 3,095 points. And number 10, Aaron K. Now, all of this, all of this could get totally messed up after Singapore because Everyone is so tightly compacted in the top 10. I know it sounds like I've been saying the same names in the same order, but it just takes one upset to blow this up. And there are some hot prizes that are on the line for the top three finishers. Very, very cool. So I'm going to give a championship update, and I'm going to do that uh, ignoring the big oversized can of whipped cream and your fantasy sharing here. So we'll, we will we'll gloss over that. The uh, 2022 Formula One uh, driver's standings are as follows. Max Verstappen, 335 points. Charles Leclerc from Ferrari, 219. Sergio Perez from Red Bull, 210. George Russell from Mercedes, 203. Carlos Sainz, the second Ferrari, 187 points. On the constructors' side, it is a Red Bull still leading the way with uh, a lot of points as my screen refreshes in front of me here. Red Bull currently has, yeah, and it's still not reloading, so this is uh, getting awkward. <laughs> Red Bull <laughs> has 545 points. There we go. I was going to say, I, I had it back to front. I was going to say 445 points, but, uh, you know, got it uh, c- completely wrong there. Uh, yeah, so Red Bull 545, Ferrari 406%. Mercedes 371, Alpine 125, and McLaren rounding out the top five with 107. Of course, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, between uh, Ferrari and uh, Mercedes and the constructors going down the stretch, whether or or not the Silver Arrows can close that gap and perhaps uh, overtake Ferrari for second the constructors. And of course, as we've talked about a couple of times over the past uh, couple of weeks, those second to fourth places in the drivers' championship between Leclerc, Perez, and George Russell, only about sixteen points uh, separating uh, second through fourth. So that could be uh, a bit fun to watch going down the stretch run as well as we get to, towards the end of the season in Abu Dhabi at the beginning of December. And on this day three years ago, Sebastian Vettel, the soon-to-be-retired ret- one, won the Singapore Grand Prix for his last win in Formula One. I don't want to say his last career win in Formula One. I mean, anything could happen, but it seems unlikely he will win a race for Aston Martin before the end of the year. So let's say his last win in Formula One for now, asterisk. And we'll revisit this in a couple of months and say, yeah, he just didn't win again after that. So Hammy, as we look down the schedule now, we just have a handful of races left. 
So where do we want to, what, what do you want, want to talk about now? So we got, what, six races left now, starting with uh, Singapore, then we have Japan, uh, United States, and of course, that's not Miami, that would be Coda, then Mexico, and then Brazil and Abu Dhabi to uh, to finish off the season. And of course, it's kind of cool. We're going to have a couple of night races in here, going back to Suzuka, which is one of my favorites, Coda, which has been just exploded in popularity over the past uh, couple of years, despite uh, a lot of the... Uh, disorganization and some of the hiccups on race day uh, at the track last year. Uh, Mexico is, I sometimes find it a little bit interesting that Mexico's still on the calendar. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on because the 2023 calendars have been released because this is a race kind of even pre-COVID-ish and even at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, this is a race that's heavily subsidized by the, yes. by the Mexican government. Yes. So that's that's interesting that uh, that they're still hanging around. Brazil at uh, Interlagos, a uh, very old school track, which uh, I always uh, really enjoy. And then the glitz and glamour at, uh, at Yas Marina for the uh, the season finale. And I love that reprofiled track that we saw re-debuting last year in 2021. So your thoughts, uh, Mark, what are you looking forward to over the remaining half dozen or so races this year? I think I want to keep a positive state of mind because we know we're not going to see a championship that's likely to extend beyond Japan. That That's where Max deservedly is probably going to wrap up this championship and the constructors as well. So I think I want to look at other things that could be exciting going into the final six races of the season. I think Singapore is going to be interesting because it's the first time that we've been there since 20. 19, I guess. We haven't been there since the pandemic. And a lot of newer listeners to the show may never have seen a live Grand Prix from that track, from that city. So that's exciting. And that's exciting for everybody at home. Obviously, Japan can typically produce some pretty good races, especially if the weather gets a little bit a little bit dicey, but that race in itself could be interesting because you have Yuki going home for his first Grand Prix. And Possibly not his last Grand Prix as a Formula One racer based on some stories that we'll get to in a couple of minutes. So it'll be exciting to go to Japan. Again, we haven't been there from since 2019. If Max doesn't tie it up there, then he could potentially win in Austin. And you made that great point about the fact that we saw block Buster numbers turn out at Austin last week in the heat of that Texas autumn. And, and I think it's really important to remember as well that like Mexico, the Austin race has historically been heavily subsidized by the state of Texas. And there was a point where it became a political hot potato because at one point, and this race has been around since 2012, the government was pumping tons of money into the race to help the race promoters cover the sanctioning fees nobody was showing up for the race. Like it wasn't creating the knock-on financial effects that you would expect from hosting a Formula One Grand Prix. And boy, has that totally changed. It'll be interesting now though, to see what the attendance continues to look like when we have not just one, not just two, but three American races on the calendar. We know this one's sold out. We know that they've added additional capacity with some new grandstands this year. So it'll be exciting to see. And of course, Mexico, I love that track. Doesn't necessarily make for great overtaking in terms of overtaking opportunities, but I love that stadium section. I love that final turn going down to the main straight. And then Brazil's a classic. And you made a great point, and I'd completely forgotten about it with, with, uh, with Yas Marina, but Abu Dhabi was reprofiled last year and they made two fairly subtle changes that made for much better racing. And I'm really excited to see what these new cars 
can do at that track because the track was designed to create some more overtaking opportunities. And now we have these cars that are better at following the car in front of them because there's less weight coming off the back of them could make for some interesting races. And then if you just look at the storylines, like we know the championships are decided, but what isn't decided is who's going to finish second in the championship. And you know, is, is Mercedes going to be able to find a way to scratch their way and scrape their way to a race victory once the championships are decided? I don't know, but I think there's a ton of really fun stuff that we can continue to look forward to and talk about over these last six Grand Prix. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't want to uh, sort of sort of say that uh, we're we're kind of finding or making up stories to get uh, excited about because uh, there are some legitimately good things to to, to keep an eye on and. Um, the those different positions in the world championship and you know one of the stories you know i think would be interesting if max doesn't uh, clinch in singapore next weekend but it uh, gets bumped a week or two until they get to 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 uh, japan you got to think though the execs from honda and tokyo are hoping that he wraps it up either in oh, i never uh, even thought you know, about one way that because it's just a pr nightmare right that uh, that they're going to win a drivers and constructors championship with a honda Can engine in the back of that red bull that doesn't have a honda badge on it it's just such a a marketing own goal. It's incredible. Oh, I but never, you know. Wow. Yeah. I've got, I've got yeah. nothing more to say than to gasp and to cry and to wipe my brow. What <laughs> what what a crazy situation that would be that it, Honda could it? effectively power two championships in a race in Japan and get zero credit for it. Incredible. Yeah, isn't it though? And Suzuka, though, I have to admit, is one of my favorite uh, circuits. I, I love watching the racing there. I, I just feel that this is a, a very, very cool track. It's got that iconic R130 corner before the yeah. chicane, just right at the end of the lap there. And we've seen some phenomenal racing there over the years. I mean, we, we mentioned it last week, that iconic coming together at the chicane between Senna and Prost in 1988, which was like the peak of the animosity and the, the, the battles that they had. I mean, long before Max and Lewis, yeah. long before for Lewis and Nico Rosberg, there was Senna and Prost, and uh, that one uh, certainly had its uh, own level of, uh, of uh, toxicity. Of so, the six races yeah. remaining, which is the one you're most yep. looking forward to? I would say Japan. It's just that uh, I, I love Japan. I love Japanese culture. You know, I, I like I say uh, Suzuka is just a, a favorite track of mine. I just uh, I, I just really enjoy it for, for for whatever reason. I just find that a lap around Suzuka in a Formula One car just has a nice flow to it, a nice tempo, and it's just uh, it, it's very very cool. Just uh, yeah, I just re- really enjoy. It. But I mean, there's a lot of great uh, races coming up uh, to finish up the, the the calendar this year, and they're all slightly different, and they all have different things that uh, that, that I really enjoy. I mean. Singapore is going to be cool. Like you said, it's the first time we're going to be there in a couple of years. And I always find that race to be a, a real grind, even from a spectator's oh, point of view. Oh, it feels because, painful. Yeah. I mean, it it just feels like a long, long race. I mean, it's completely the opposite, say, to the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring when they're lapping in about a one minute, six seconds or something like this. I mean, it's not as long as Azerbaijan or Spa or something like that, where you're like 140 or 150 or whatever it is. It's kind of in between, but it just it, it's a long lap for a street circuit. And just the, the 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 amount of time it takes to run a race usually takes a, a long time as well. We, we know we're probably going to see some safety cars. I mean, I enjoy it, but uh, I, I feel like by the time we get to that end, 
into that race, we all sort of should pat ourselves on the back because I just feel like compared to some other races, it just feels like it requires extra effort, even from from a viewer's point of view. But and uh, just two things yeah. on that, because I'll build on what you're talking about there. The two other considerations about Singapore, and this is one of the reasons why it's one of the most draining circuits on the calendar for the drivers is one, it's blisteringly hot and sweaty yes. and humid, even though it happens at night. And this is a yep. street circuit. And when you're talking about Silverstone or Austria, they have these beautifully smooth surfaces. And when you're talking about a street circuit, you're sticking a Formula One car on it. And Formula One cars, unlike your street car, their suspension is designed to to provide one function, which is to create mechanical grip. And the suspension yep. in your car is to do that, but also provide comfort to absorb bumps. Formula One suspensions do none of that. So when you go onto these street circuits, trust me, these drivers feel every single bump. And it combining the heat and the fact that it's a sharp, tight, technical, technical track, like it is a physically demanding race for these drivers. But I liked your answer. I like Japan. I think your explanations were good. But the right answer, my friend, was Abu Dhabi. So you you don't pass the test. <laughs> hey, I said I'm looking forward to that one as well. Hey, just before we go into break here, I mean that's a track that you've been to before. Did you ever go to Ferrari World? Yes, yes or I no? have. Yes. Yes. Oh, do tell, do tell, details, details, yeah, so please. It's, so Ferrari World, uh, for those of you don't that don't know, is immediately adjacent to the track. And Yas Marina Circuit is basically on it's not necessarily a man-made island, but it's an island immediately adjacent to the city of Abu Dhabi, and it's designed kind of as a recreation resort uh, mega development. And immediately beside Yas Marina, there's a huge mall, a beautiful mall called Yas Mall. And attached to Yas Mall is a theme park called Ferrari World. And when you go to Ferrari World, it is very much a roller coaster mecca. They have some extreme roller coasters, but I am not a roller coaster guy at all. So my wife and I did some of the children's rides and then tapped out, <laughs> but it is very cool. So if you love roller coasters, it is a fantastic, fantastic park. Obviously the gift store is pretty cool and they have a lot of great cars there on display, but, uh, but for us, we're not roller coaster people, so we couldn't partake in and absorb. But yeah, it is very, very, very cool. And when we went to Yas, uh, you would get free passes to uh, to Ferrari World as well. So they would have a shuttle going back and forth. So you just walk over and it's oh, a nice. nice thing to do between free practice sessions or after free practice. And uh, you can check out check out the the mall too. I, I feel that if I went to the uh, the, the shop at Ferrari World, I, I find I think that there would be a very good chance that they would be very successful at emptying my wallet and racking up my my visa bill. Definitely, somewhat, definitely, very very quickly. And on that note, let's uh, pay some bills and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about rising tensions between, well, basically everyone and the FIA. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So don't go away. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, 
not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. The Marks here again this evening to break down all the latest Formula One news from the past week. And the next story we wanted to talk about is there's tension between uh, Formula One and the FIA over what is being termed a unacceptable attitude. Now, this comes from the fact that Formula One bosses and the teams are very angry and upset with the FIA after the governing body broke what was become tradition and released the 2023 calendar of races uh, for next year without getting the approval of the 10 Formula One teams for a late season triple header. I mean, you you mentioned it in the first segment there, uh, Mark, that there is going to be very, very, sorry, very, very little uh, rest uh, next year. And I was just going to pull it up here. I thought I had it. Here we go. So here's the calendar. Uh, starting off uh, at March 5th in um, in Bahrain. Here, I'm going to zoom in a little bit here. Um, then we go to Jeddah and Saudi Arabia, the Australian Grand Prix, Shanghai and China. So they're back on the, on the calendar for the first time in a couple of years. Then back to Baku and Azerbaijan on April 30th. And you got to Miami, May 7th. Remember that date. Then Imola, Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Montreal, uh, then you get to, to the beginning of July, the Austrian Grand Prix, and it's a typical uh, spot. Then uh, the British Grand Prix Spa, which we knew was going to be uh, moved up a, a little bit and getting another year. Then uh, you get the Hungarian Grand Prix on July 30th in their traditional time slot. Then you have the summer break for three and a half weeks in August. And then you uh, go to the Dutch Grand Prix, August 27th at Zunfort. Then Monza, Singapore, Suzuka, Doha in Qatar. Remember, we went to uh, Qatar last year uh, to the LaSalle circuit. And that's uh, off the calendar this year because uh, we are now only a couple of months away from the 2022 FIFA World Cup of Soccer, which is uh, exciting, but obviously uh, they need to focus on that. So they get a breather for a year. October 22nd, another date to prick on the Formula One calendar in North America. And then that is uh, the U.S. Grand Prix at the uh, Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. Then followed up uh, again Halloween weekend or just before Halloween, uh, August or sorry, October 29th, Mexico City. Then Sao Paulo in Brazil and then which is uh, Interlagos. And then and the third date to prick in the uh, North American uh, F1 calendar, Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Grand Prix, the inaugural running set to go the week weekend November 18th 2023 and then finishing off November 26th at Yas Marina in Abu Dhabi so a 24 race schedule 
Hammy, I'm tired just reading through that list. It is going to be a grind next year. OMG. And one correction as well. So I apologize. I put together the race preview, the race preview. I put together the podcast outline sure. tonight. <laughs> um, the one call out that I'll have on there. And this was, so what I had posted here was actually a, a kind of a leaked version. It is final except for one correction. In this preview or in this outline, two things are going to happen. Hungary is actually going to slide back to the weekend of July 23rd, and Belgium is going to move or it's going to slide forwards to to July 23rd, and Belgium is going to move to July 30th. So Belgium will actually be the final race before the summer break, whereas normally, historically, it would be the first race after the summer break. Although I think if you're in Belgium and you're the race promoter, you're probably just happy to be on the calendar. But yeah, it's an absolute grind and i cannot even begin to wrap my head around how challenging this this calendar is i think there's still some questions about whether shanghai whether china happens i think we're obviously still seeing the impact of 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 covid in that part of the world and some pretty frequent lockdowns in some of the major metropolitan areas so i don't think the chinese authorities will be taking a chance but i know that there's probably some eagerness to get that race back on the calendar for the first time since 29 especially especially since there is now a chinese driver on the grid for the very first mm-hmm. time to kind of backpedal a little bit to to your earlier comments about that story that was posted on planet f1 by michelle foster uh I think it's a really interesting article, and I've been saying this for a long time, and I'm I'm certainly not the only one that thinks this way, but to me, Formula One is the brand. We are tuning in, and we are paying our money to see Formula One, and I've said this before. To me, the FIA is a paid contractor who has some very specific duties. They are not the commercial body. They are not the marketing body. They should be seen, but not heard. And they should only be seen when they're executing their contracted responsibilities effectively. And what's frustrating about this situation is typically the FIA and the Formula One commercial rights group would announce the calendar together. They would put out simultaneous releases. And not only did the FIA release it three days in advance of F1, they did it without the knowledge of Formula One that Stefano Domenicali and the entire Formula One office in London found out through the FIA social media channel. So all of a sudden they were on a back foot because they hadn't A, had a chance to officially announce that Monaco was coming back through 2025 and they hadn't officially announced the dates for Las Vegas. So F1 was furious. And furthermore, they were upset because there's a triple header in the back of the calendar, a flyaway triple header that involves the US, Mexico, and Brazil. While it was a foregone conclusion that the teams were going to sign off on this, the reality is they had it yet. They hadn't gone to F1 and said, hey, here's our rubber stamp. Go ahead, publish the calendar. So the FIA jumped the gun. And then this is where, and I'm going to, I'm just grabbing my phone right now because I want to bring this up. This is where I think the problem lies. And I've, I've held back my feelings about the FIA for a while, but I read a comment that Tim Harania tweeted from the president of the FIA, Mohammed bin Salam, and he said this, and it, this, this made me so mad that I had to screen capture the tweet, but he says, the presence of 24 races on the 2023 FIA Formula One World Championship calendar is further evidence of the growth and appeal of the sport on a global scale. The addition of new venues and the retention of traditional venues underlines the FIA's sound stewardship of the sport. 
I am delighted that we will be able to take Formula One's new era of exciting racing created by the FIA's 2022 regulations to a broader fan base in 2023. So my problem with this comment is that the FIA's only responsibility when it comes to a calendar is to rubber stamp it and give the circuits a classification. Grade one, two, three. Is this a suitable race venue? Yes or no. They do not negotiate with the with the race organizers they do not negotiate with the tv broadcasters their role is simply simply contractual so for for muhammad bin salam to go forward and try to take credit like what was the specific comment there um it underlines the fia sound stewardship of the sport like this is really frustrating and i think if i'm liberty if i'm part of the the front office of formula one if i'm chase carrier stefano domenicali i look at these call these comments and i get angry like who are you our contractor to be taking credit for the fact that we the commercial rights group have assembled a schedule and furthermore how dare you release our calendar in advance of us without telling us. And it just compounds the fact that there's been some obvious ongoing issues. I think there was frustration from the teams and and F1 because the FIA was so slow to sign off on the sprint format and the number of sprint races, the fact that F1 wanted to do more and the FIA was reluctant because they wanted to extract more cash out of Formula One. There was obviously the jewelry situation with Lewis Hamilton earlier this year that blew up into a situation that it never should have been. There was the comments about the fact that Lewis didn't attend the gala last year, that there was the technical directive 39 and how that played out. Like there's a lot of animosity bubbling right now between Liberty, the teams and the FIA. And then when you see comments like this, I think it's just a little bit galling. And it's one of those things that kind of, kind of stokes the fire a little bit in, in a way it shouldn't. Because like I've said before, this isn't the FIA world championship. This is the Formula One world championship. And if you want a tiny, tiny little byline saying supported by or officiated by the FIA, so be it. But I just, I don't like that the FIA keeps pushing itself to the front. You, That's not your role. Anyways, I've ranted enough, my friend. That's kind of like the uh, you know the the NBA's referee union yes, or something yes. like that saying like the NBA finals presented brought to you by the NBA's referees you or whatever they call them uh, themselves you know I'm being a little bit yeah, uh, tongue perfect, in cheek but perfect American it, analogy man yeah 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 it's just uh, it, it's yeah I I just I couldn't help but uh, shake my head or and just uh, shake my fist in the air and uh, when I read those comments from uh, Ben Suleim but. It's it's not just that. I mean, there's other things that the teams have been a, a little bit. It's it's just the latest thing that's uh, that's that's uh, rubbed them the wrong way because there's been uh, a, several times this year that they've been a little bit upset. You know, there's been this controversial jewelry ban for the drivers, and there's also the confusion of the grid penalty system at uh, that we saw at Spa and then Monza, and then the whole safety car thing at the end of the Italian Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago. Although it was done within the rules, it uh, you know there was a lot of criticism. Uh, you know, leveled at at the FIA there. So I mean, it's just the the, the latest in a series of missteps by them, and then just uh, like like you see, I mean, claiming it as basically their their own handiwork is just uh, you know beyond the pale for a lot of people within the Formula One paddock and you know at Liberty Media and whatnot. I mean, you can understand why they're 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 justifiably ticked off about it. 
One more thing I want to rant about. I saw a tweet a couple of days ago from Ben Hunt. He says, and, and this comment actually annoyed me, the F1 calendar has been published by the FIA across all platform with no heads up for the media working in it. It means that hotels are jacked up, as you will see. Consequences, people already working long hours will be priced out locally, adding hours onto a busy working week. And his implication here being that because the FIA didn't give the media advance notice, they weren't able to go and book hotels in advance of all the fans who attend who tend to attend these races. And quite frankly, you and I have been part of the media. We, we've had media responsibilities in the past covering other sports. Mm-hmm. We've never traveled the globe, but at the same time, for somebody that signs up to follow F1 to 24 races around the world, that's on you, that this is just the cost of doing business. And in most cases, the credentialed media aren't paying to travel themselves. They're not typically freelance, that those that are those that are paying for their work are going to pay for their hotel accommodations and things like that. So I thought that comment was a little offside and to kind of fish for sympathy for the media isn't something that I think is necessarily going to be that effective. And then just one other interesting stat I saw as well. This was Mm -hmm. from Reddit from Jesus the Redeemer. With the new calendar being announced, the F1 circus will travel as the crow flies 110,000 kilometers in 2023. While a oh logical, while a more logical and practical calendar could have had that distance. And you and I talked last week or the weekend before about the fact that there's all these competing interests, which ultimately determine kind of the format. But yeah, 110,000 kilometers will be traveled next year. That That's insane. I mean, that, I, I can't even really comprehend how much that is. I mean, that would take the average person, what, several years to like rack up that many miles totally. on their on their own personal vehicle. I mean, that and, and that's doing a lot of driving each and every year as it is. OK, so let's move along now and let's talk about uh, Yuki Sonoda, who's uh, soon to be or has been uh, confirmed to be coming back in 2023 for another year with uh, Alpha Tauri, the uh, the Red Bull B team, junior team or whatever you want to, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them. Uh, it's 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 interesting, right? I mean, I think we were all, I think, uh, really quite positive on, on Yuki Sonoda at the beginning of last year because he had a very very good debut at uh, at uh, the, the the Bahrain Grand Prix of Sahir at the beginning of the year, and then his progress has been not as the curve has been a lot flatter than maybe a lot of people uh, expected. But uh, anyways, Yuki uh, confirmed at uh, Alpha Tauri for 2023. Mark, your thoughts? Yeah, there's an article published by The Race uh, by Ben Anderson, and I'm just going to quote his uh, third to final paragraph, and it kind of sums up the entire situation, which is, and I quote, beyond the obvious connection to Japan and Honda, Sonoda is the best option for Alpha Tauri right now because there really aren't that many other good options, certainly not ones that don't require some kind of torturous negotiation to extract drivers from other schemes slash affiliations slash teams. And he continues, he's done better this season, it's true, but despite all the platitudes about needing three more years to show his true potential and being fast but a bit unrefined, but that's okay. This feels like Red Bull sticking with Sonoda, not because he's the best option, but because he's the only real option in what what is now a much, much 
much more competitive market than it used to be. And the implication, and if you read this article, it's really well done. It kind of speaks to the fact that in the late 2000s, we saw this exodus of manufacturers from F1. BMW was gone, Toyota was gone, Honda was gone. And you had one standing, one really stable driver academy in in Red Bull. And it paid off really well until about 2015. And then all of a sudden after 2015, which is when you saw Max enter the sport, they haven't really been able to develop any great talents or at least develop great talents that they could keep and make productive. And if you look at their current lineup, you've got Pierre Gasly, who's possibly on his way out to be replaced by a Mercedes driver in Nick DeVries. You have Yuki, who's only now, as as Ben Anderson so eloquently put, is probably only going to keep his seat because there's literally no options. And then you've got at the main team, Sergio Perez, who's an external hire and is really beginning to struggle in the back half of this season and is nowhere near Max. And of course, you have Max Verstappen. And so suddenly this organization that's historically been really rich in young talent suddenly has a talent deficit and is now consistently going outside of the academy to find talent. The fact that Nick DeVries is probably going to get that ride and Gasly is going to bounce over to Alpine says volumes about the state of their, their driver academy. But it's partly also that young drivers now simply have more leverage in negotiating their deals and they're not so... I don't I can't think of the term but they're not so they're not deemed to be so loyal to to the team that may have funded their development that if they get to the big leagues and they're in a position where they can negotiate a contract they will negotiate the best possible contract for them. So very, very interesting. I think Yuki's very lucky to have a seat next year. This very easily could have gone in another direction. And I think Honda continuing to be some part of this organization uh, probably plays a part in that. But if he doesn't improve significantly next year, he'll be gone. And just looking at this year's standings, right? He scored points in Bahrain. He scored points in Imola. He scored a 10th place finish for a single point in Spain. He has not now scored a point since Spain. And he's had three retirements in that time. So while he may have hmm. started well, the, the back half of the season has trailed off tremendously for young Yuki. You know, another thing too, that I can't help uh, but wonder is if, um, you know, some of these young drivers, although it must be a good system to get into when you're young and developing, you have to wonder, you know, how, how constrained do drivers feel at, at a certain point? Because, you know, you have all these ties to this academy and to this uh, this organization in Red Bull or Ferrari because they got their own driver academy too, for example, uh, among others. But um, you know, we we've seen drivers in the past where like their their options become so limited or so few as just not to to uh, to be practical because they they do have these ties to these organizations and uh, they sort of get uh, stuck in this uh, bit of a netherworld where they can't really move forward or back and then sometimes you just got to pull the band-aid off and make a break uh, with the, with these academies and yeah. and try and strike out on your own and and I, I kind of feel like Pierre Gasly is in that uh, situation I mean I think Danny Ricardo felt like he was in that situation to a a certain extent uh, you know he, well I, I think it was a little bit more than and just the though the whole Red Bull organization, I think a, a lot of it, of course, was uh, being number two to Max Verstappen, which uh, he didn't like. But I think um, you know the, the you know, case in point is uh, Pierre Gasly that uh, you know if he uh, moves to Alpine, which we're all kind of expecting he will do at some point, is that uh, you know it, it might be a big boost for a guy that's now in his mm-hmm. mid twenties and been in the sport for a couple of years and now kind of had the shackles taken off and you know. Let, okay, Pierre, like have at it. Let's see what you can really do. So it's uh, it definitely is an interesting uh, situation. Totally. 
Okay, so uh, the next one, this is uh, interesting. So the uh, going into twenty twenty four and the uh, the banning of tire warmers, which no! have been around in Formula One Mikey, for no! what since the nineteen. 19- since the 1980s? Yeah. They've been around for a long, long time. Well, actually, right? on that note, let me interject because I found a link to a well-written description of the birth of tire warmers on formula1-dictionary.net. But uh, the first mm-hmm. recorded attempt to heat tires was actually in 1974 during the Grand Prix of Canada, which in that year took place in September. And I'm quoting here, as is normal in Canada yep. in the autumn, conditions outside were somewhat chilly. The early part of the weekend saw drivers struggle for grip and there were concerns that on the race start, tires might actually separate from their rims. McLaren found the way by Wow. McLaren found the way by converting their pit into a heated shed that would keep the tires warm so they could withstand higher internal pressure. But there was still the problem when they bring the tires on the grid. The low temperatures would cool the tires, negating effect from the heated pit. The answer was Hmm. found in the team's hotel. Duvets and blankets were requisitioned from the beds wrapped around the still hot tires on the grid to keep them warm which I thought was was wow. fascinating. But according to AMUS, the great German publication, it looks like there's an exit strategy for tire blankets that they will leave the sport after 2023. We've already started to see a reduction in the effectiveness. So as of early 2021 or as of the 2021 season, the maximum temperature of the tire warmers was 100 degrees Celsius at the front, 80 at the back. This year, it's just 70 for all four corners. And then next year, I think it's going to be dropped to, I think, 50 degrees Celsius front and rear actually no um in addition yeah so it'll be dropped to i think about 50 degrees celsius so half is half is impactful and in the meantime of course pirelli needs to design and develop an engineer a tire that can be good to go from a cold start on the grid without being preheated so fascinating fascinating story yeah, very, very cool. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a, it's a bad thing as long as there's no obvious uh, safety I concern. I love tire blankets. Just, yeah, I know, but it's just uh, for, for me, you know, kind of being nerdy in these things, I, I love the challenge that the, that the teams, true. the manufacturers, and, and Pirelli have to overcome this uh, the, this deficit and this uh, this crutch almost. A, uh, that, it is that, that definitely they have these a huge yeah. driver aid. It is a huge driver yeah. aid, no question. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, they overcome this one. Okay, time for another break. And then when we come back on the other side, we still got a bunch more stories to talk about, including Lewis Hamilton declaring that he will be somewhere, probably forever. And we'll talk to you about that more in just a couple Monica. of moments. So don't go away. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back. And yes, there are still a bunch more stories in the news to talk about uh, this week. First one is that apparently on the 27th of this month, an announcement is coming soon 
stay tuned. And that is courtesy of the Alpha Romeo F1 team Orland. Boy, that's a real, uh, uh, real uh, mouthful. With the hashtag keep making history. Hammy, any idea what this might be about? Well, we both know. Sorry, that that's not correct. We both want it to be the same thing. We both want this to be the announcement that Audi is going to take over this race organization and convert it into an Audi works team for 2026. Because of course, Audi's entered the sport as a power unit supplier. They don't have any customer teams yet, so they actually won't be on the grid for 2026. Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be something quite that exciting, although that would be very, very cool. I thought that maybe it would be a driver announcement. Of course, Bottas is going to be back. And I think it's a foregone conclusion that they're very talented young Chinese rookie. I think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be back. So I would be surprised if they were making an announcement like this. So I'm 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 actually not totally sure. And I'm I'm eager for the 27th to roll around. So uh so we can learn about what this big surprise is. Yeah, I don't really have anything uh, further to add to it. I mean, uh, much like yourself, uh, Joe Guan Yu, I think he's had a pretty solid rookie season in Formula One. And with uh, with Alfa Romeo, I think uh, Valtteri Bottas brings a lot to, to, to the table. So... Yeah, I really don't know what to, to expect uh, from, from this one. I mean, like you say, we we both have our preferences or wishes as to what might actually happen. So I guess we got to sit around here for four or five days until this uh, news drops. And the, by this time next week, uh, we should be able to, to bring you an update on this one. Okay, as I teased at uh, before the break, uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, sat down, did an interview for FormulaOne.com, and uh, he opened up on uh, a lot of things, uh, specifically uh, you know, what uh, winning an eighth world championship uh, would mean to him, uh, a bunch of, you know, as well as a bunch of other topics. Anyways, um, he did address a, a couple of things regarding his future beyond uh, 2023. Lewis, of course, still under contract for a little while longer. Anyways, uh, Lewis had the following to say, quote, for years we've been going around round up and down with stories of retirement and stopping for me i feel healthier than i've ever felt as i focus a lot on that i'm feeling fit i love what i'm doing and i don't plan on stopping anytime soon my goal was always to be with mercedes i love that we have the long partnership we have i feel like we are embarking on a lot of really positive things not only in the sport but outside i think there's a lot of work a lot to accomplish together so i want to be a part of that I think I'll always be with Mercedes until the day I die. I feel like I can race for quite a bit longer, so I'll potentially be steering towards that, end quote. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it seems so logical, right? I, I just can't see Lewis Hamilton walking away from uh, Mercedes and going anywhere else. I, you know, I mean, I know there's like there's always that sort of story or that quote that goes out there. Well, every driver wants to drive and race for Ferrari at some point during their, their career. But, you know, if you're Lewis Hamilton, w- what would the attraction be to go and, and switch teams and, and, and race for Ferrari at this point in your career? I, I just don't see it at, th- at this point where he is and what he's accomplished together with the Mercedes over the past uh, well almost a decade now i'm mean, it's it's just incredible i mean he's you know it's a synonymous to, to me when it comes to mercedes as michael schumacher was with ferrari Ayrton senna was with mclaren and you know and 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 so forth so mark what do you think about yeah, that yeah the, the sport gains nothing with the exit of of Lewis Hamilton. I'll repeat that. The sport gains nothing with a potential exit of, 
of Lewis Hamilton. He's obviously the most transcendent star the sport has ever had, and he's on the cusp of of defining and, and engraving his name on the Mount Rushmore of Formula One greats with an eighth championship. And I think we know he's been under contract through 2023. He signed that extension after uh, after 2021 for 2022 and 2023. And I think there was a little bit of friction there because he didn't get that 2021 deal in a hurry and it was a one-year deal, but then he was able to sign that two-year extension at 50 plus million dollars a year. I think this is good news. And the fact that he's still very open and he speaks to the fact that physically he's in the best shape of his life, I think that's good for all of us. So I think this speaks to the fact that especially if 2023 can build on the relative success that Mercedes has had, again, relative being that they've seen significant development since the first half of the season, then I think he would probably be more than up to sign for 2024, 2025. But it also completely puts to bed any kind of, I would say, parlor talk or barbershop talk about him potentially signing with a different team. And that team was always, that other team was always going to be Ferrari. But I think that was more media speculation and fan buzz than it ever was anything to do with something Lewis had said, that that Lewis has never pandered to that organization. He's obviously shown them respect, but he's never said or indicated in any way that he had any desire to race there. And after winning six chips and partnering with Toto for so long, I don't know why he would sign up to the pressure of leaving the situation to go somewhere else. Like you have, you have the infrastructure, you built that infrastructure. You've been a part of every championship. You stay there until the end of your contract. And I don't think anyone's going to pay him better than, than Mercedes will as well. So all of this is, is good news. And hopefully Lewis will continue to stay in the sport for as, as long as possible. And if that means through 2027, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, just uh, judging by his comments, uh, he seems pretty happy where he is right now. I mean, I, I don't think there's any questioning on his uh, his physical fitness, and um, and and like I've said for a long time, I think that that Lewis has earned the right to to, to walk away from the sport when he's uh, good and ready to right, to, to right. do so. But it doesn't sound like that's anywhere in the near, near term, in the 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 tone that uh, that he's striking in that interview, and. Um, yeah, I, I have to take those comments as a, a, exactly at face value. I think we'll see him around for several more years. I mean, um, you know, he went on that interview just to talk about winning that next uh, championship, you know, potentially an eighth of the world championship. And you know, he basically said, I'm just going to paraphrase and parse here, but uh, he basically said that he approaches each uh, championship like uh, it was his first one. And he says, uh, worse to the effect of as you get older, you realize it's more about the journey and the, the, the people that you bring along with you and people that you elevate. So, it sounds that, uh, you know, he's got a bit of a different approach uh, to this one, even though he's chasing the championship in which his name will be engraved on it. It sounds that uh, very much that he's very aware of the, uh, you know, the, the team, the people that uh, that it requires to win these championships and that uh, that he's not alone. So it, uh, you know, I mean, he's he's been an amazing driver for a very, very long time. And, you know, if he's still performing at that, uh, that peak level, why would you want to see him leave? I mean, it would leave a big vacuum in the sport, which of course would give uh, other drivers the opportunity to step up and shine. And uh, perhaps, uh, you know, another Lewis Hamilton might be uh, born, you know, for, for lack of a better phrase, but uh, yeah, if he wants to stick around for several more years, I'm, Perfectly happy with that. Now, Zach Brown, the uh, CEO of uh, McLaren, said that uh, success in the United States is not uh, dependent on having an American driver or an American team. And uh, 
He said that uh, even though we don't have an American driver or team in the series right now, he would love to see it happen. Hammy, why don't you give us uh, some more context, some more details around Zach's comments? Do you want me to rant? Probably not. Yeah, I think, I think I've it. ranted enough. So actually, I, I, I very, very much agree with him. And we've talked about this so much. And I think our audience has probably started to get a little tired of, of this conversation about the value of adding an American driver and the value of adding an American team. I think at this point, the fan base is in a really, really great place, both in terms of quality and, and in terms of, of size. And I think what they've been able to develop, they being Liberty, not the FIA, but they being the teams, <laughs> the teams, the commercial rights group in Liberty and the broadcast partners, I think they built something that can be really sustainable for a, a, a lot of a lot more years. And I think they've done some really great work in putting these tent pole events in the United States, in Miami, and obviously Austin, as we said earlier, has matured into one of the flagship events of the championship. And of course, next year we're going to get Vegas, which should be a really fantastic spectacle to watch even though it's going to be a little late, but I'll sign up to that any day as opposed to a 5 or a 6 a.m. start. I think the question is always going to be what additional or incremental value would an American driver have or what incremental or added value would an American team have? And quite frankly, we have an American team in Haas that's been with us since 2016. They've added zero value because they've made zero effort to be a fully functional, stable, organized I would say professional racing team. And I know there's a lot of sympathy and a lot of love out there for Gunther Steiner, but I just don't think Gene Haas has ever really given a damn about that team. And still not sure what his end goal is with that product. But ultimately, I think an American driver especially could add some real value. I would say in terms of the team, I honestly think Formula One fans tend to gravitate and rally around drivers more so than they do teams with the exception, with the exception perhaps of a Ferrari. But I think a capable American driver could be could be really valuable and it could help sustain this momentum that we've already seen. And if you had an American driver that started competing for races, maybe you widen that demo and maybe you widen and broaden the number of people that are watching the sport because again it's a greater buzz factor but i would be i would be cautious to say that we're going to start seeing five million people tune into a race but it can't hurt and i think it would be nice to see and you know after those those Ray Hall comments last weekend, I got really fired up because, well, I don't think that there's necessarily this conspiracy taking place within a volcano in the Pacific Ocean that's guarded by sharks with freaking laser burn beams attached to their heads. I think that the 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 latter system of Formula One is designed in such a way that it does exclude American drivers because young, talented American drivers typically stay in the United States because there's countless racing opportunities for them. There's pavement karting, there's gravel karting, uh, there's stock car racing, there's all sorts of championships that lead into Indy. I mean, if I'm a talented American driver... I can go to Europe and I'm going to need a huge amount of money to even get a shot because let's be very clear, everyone in Formula 3 and Formula 2 is a paid driver. But if I'm a talented American driver, I can take a huge risk, try to bring together some money and take a shot over there, or I can stay in North America and have a much bigger shot at Indy. So it's not just that the best drivers go to F2 and F3. That's not the case. There's some fantastic drivers in in North America. I just think we need to start looking at at Indy as a 
pipeline or a, a development path for getting drivers into Formula One. And we'll talk about this in a couple of minutes. I get really upset when Formula One continues to recycle drivers like Nico Hulkenberg and Antonio Giovinazzi and Kevin Magnussen. And I, no slander, no slander. I'm not slandering them, but I just, I look at those three drivers and think, is it not possible that there's a more talented driver in Indy than these folks? Like, are you sure that these guys are better than every single indie option? So my rants aside, that's all I got to say about it for today. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And then, I mean, the one name that's been uh, thrown out there for, for quite a mi- uh, while now is Colton Herta. He said, uh, you know, a couple of days ago this week that uh, he doesn't want to be an exception when it comes to the relaxing of uh, rules and standards around uh, Which is points totally uh, for, fair. for super license. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it makes sense. I mean, he doesn't want to be a special case because, I mean, ultimately, I mean, it would just put more pressure on his shoulders. It's like, well, they 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 bent the rules to let the guy into the sport. Now he sucks. He's not any good. He's not meant, you know, he's not a, a Formula One caliber driver. And, you know, he wants to, you know, if he's going to get a super license and get his shot in Formula One, he wants to earn it just like uh, everybody else does, except for maybe the uh, some of the... Um, pay drivers who we shall not mention with certain other american teams which you already mentioned so let's just uh leave it at that okay um one more topic and we're actually getting towards the end of the news uh, for this week so now fernando alonso is leaving alpine they didn't uh, get to oscar piastri so they're you know that's the one i'd say i'd, I'd I would say a big seat, high profile seat, kind of hard to really kind of make it live up to that billing, considering this is a, a middle of the pack team that really only has a handful of uh, podiums to their uh, to their credit over the past uh, several years. But what it's done is it, it's really made the the whole silly season extra silly this year because uh, there was a lot of things and, and it's it's the same every year too. It's like you you just have that one driver moves and it kind of, you have this uh, chain reaction to everything that uh, you know, with, with drivers uh, moving around. But that second Alpine seat uh, next to Esteban Alcon is open for, for, for next year. So who are some of the drivers that, uh, that, that uh, could potentially go there? So you've already mentioned uh, one of them or two of them, actually uh, Nico Hulkenberg and, and, Antonio Giovinazzi. Both of them have been uh, in Formula One before. Antonio, younger driver, has um, he's he's um, had fifty eight races to his uh, career in Formula One. Nico Hulkenberg has been around for quite a while, but uh, hasn't raced so much in the past uh, couple of years. He's been more of a a reserve right, driver and right. filling in whenever other guys have had uh, uh, COVID. Then you have uh, Jack. Duin, uh, Formula 2 driver, then Danny Ricardo, Nick DeFries, Mick Schumacher, and uh, Pierre Gasly. And as you kind of uh, you go from lowest to highest uh, in this list, so when you have at the top Pierre Gasly, Mick Schumacher, Nick DeFries, and Danny Ricardo. And uh, again, this is a, an article that was written by Henry Valentine on uh, planetf1.com. I don't necessarily disagree with this uh, list uh, at, at all. I think out of all of them, I think uh, Pierre Gasly would, uh, for, for me, seems like a pretty good uh, fit at this uh, at this team. Mick Schumacher, for me, is a, a bit of a second, uh, or you know, I'm second-guessing that, uh, that, that pick to put him in the second slot there ranking. I mean, Mick's 
had a better season this year. Last year was a complete waste of time as uh, far as development uh, for, for, for Mick. I mean, he could have probably uh, done, you know, developed as much sitting at home and sim racing as he did uh, at Haas in 2021. Got some questions there, but then Nick DeFries third and then Danny Ricardo fourth. Uh, yeah, I, I'm completely uh, comfortable with, with those ones. Uh, you know, I, I am firmly in the... Um, in the mindset that uh, that Danny Ricardo has uh, kind of talked himself out of Formula One at, uh, at at this point, well, not you know by by you know what he said, but more by what he didn't say or the talking he does when he's behind the steering wheel. He just has hasn't been able to you know to get up to to, to speed now at uh, both McLaren and Renault. And I mean, he'd be basically going back to the team that he jumped from a couple of years ago to make pretty much a lateral move to McLaren, and then apart from that uh, that that one unexpected win at Monza last year I mean he hasn't really lit up the the, the world there I mean he's been consistently right. out qualified and out uh, outperformed by his teammate Lando Norris so yeah I would definitely put Danny sort of uh, the out of the more likely people to get um, you know thrown around that conversation for that second Alpine I'd say he's he's on the fringes of that discussion at best the race.com did a really great video that summarized really the remaining seats or the battles for the remaining seats for 2023 and obviously we know Red Bulls locked is going to be Max and Sergio Ferrari's going to be Charles and Carlos Mercedes is going to be Lewis and George McLaren's going to be Lando and Oscar Piastri Obviously, we know what the Aston Martin situation is with Fernando and Lance, and I think Alpha Romeo is going to be what we saw this year. So really, the question is going to be, who's going to be paired with Esteban Ocon? Who's going to be paired with Kevin Magnussen? Who's going to be paired with Yuki Tsunoda? And who's going to be paired with Alex Albon? And I, I the more I see this, because I've got it on my screen right now, the more I think I agree with what this driver lineup that the, the race is predicting is going to look like. And the first prediction that they have is that Pierre Gasly is going to go to Alpine, but that's only going to be possible. And he's only going to be released from his contract because he's under contract with Red Bull for 2023. If Red Bull can find a great replacement for him. And I think based on what we saw from Nick DeVries at that last Grand Prix, and based on everything that we've heard, I think Nick DeVries is going to Alpha Tauri, which means that Pierre Gasly is gone and he's going to be going to Alpine. So that fills two seats. So then the question is what happens at Haas and what happens at Williams? I don't like this, but I fear it's the direction that Haas would go. I think Haas, according to, I don't think, but I think the race is correct in that Nico Hulkenberg is probably going to be paired next to Kevin Magnuson. He's a steady hand. Obviously, he's been continuing to social socialize, circulate in F1 waters the last couple of years since he's been out of a full-time seat. And then finally, their prediction, which is really interesting for Williams, of course, is Williams lost out on Piastri because that was originally a negotiated loan deal with Alpine. But they're predicting that they're going to pair Alex Albon with Logan Sargent. And of course, that's still dependent. I think he's sitting third in the Formula 2 championship, which would earn him 40 points in and of itself, but that would be dependent on him scoring enough super licensed points. So all of that to say, their prediction sees Mick Schumacher out of Formula 1, and like you just said a couple of minutes ago, it sees Daniel Ricciardo out of Formula 1, which a month or two ago seemed unfathomable, but I just don't see where he's going to end up because this is really a game of musical chairs, and the music's about to stop, and there's only a couple of chairs left. 
Yeah, you know, um, I, I keep uh, thinking about this whole uh, Ricardo situation. I mean, if you're a team principal looking at uh, Danny Ricardo, maybe a, a younger driver like a Nick DeFries, I'm giving Nick a harder, longer look 100%. because when you think about it, do you, if you're going to spend the money on it, you know, like uh, to to invest in a driver to to get him uh, to the point where he's going to be effective for you and your Formula One team, I'm going for for a guy like Nick because number one, you're going to have you can pay him less in salary because you know he he hasn't earned the big paycheck uh, yet so that it, but it's not uh, not just that but it's just like for for me it's the whole question of of time would, would i rather develop a young talent that uh, we, we don't know where the ceiling is or do you want to have a reclamation project on a driver their mid to 30s who you're only going to get a couple of years out of at uh, at, at the very best and totally agree. You know, sadly for 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 danny ricardo that's uh, that's where he is at uh, at the moment and like you say <laughs> a couple of year a couple of weeks ago a couple of months ago it uh, seems like this is uh, would be like a, a coming one of these conversations what are you are you insane of course danny ricardo is going to be yeah. in formula one uh, ne- next year but it's it's amazing how quickly this sport can can really change uh, on a dime so to speak okay so we're we're kind of getting to the end of uh, most of the news stories that we wanted to um, we we kind of skipped over and when i say we i mean specifically me because i'm the one that's kind of quarterbacking this uh, show and going through the uh, the outline that you put together so i'm going to go back and get to like the second item in the uh, <laughs> in the outline it was a couple of these cool graphics uh, that you managed to find. Uh, the first one is uh, from formula underscore stat analysis and this is the total number of dnfs for the teams this year ranked from most to least so on the high end with nine dnfs is alfa romeo second and well tied for joint second are ferrari and alfa tauri they both have seven dnfs on the year tied for joint third would be williams and haas who both have six Then joint fourth is Red Bull and Aston Martin, who have five. Alpine has four. McLaren has three. And Mercedes only two DNFs this season. And, you know, it's one of these kind of interesting graphics. And when you see the data and you see the stats like right before your eyes, it's just like, wow, that that is an incredible number. Because when you see... Ferrari, I mean, they're the ones that get all the negative press. They get all the hate that, you know, they're doing such a bad job and this is a team that's totally in shambles. And of course, two extra DNFs is is a big deal. But when you see that they have five compared to, uh, sorry, seven compared to five for Red Bull on the year, that's not really a big difference. And yet hardly anybody mentions the amount of DNFs that uh, that Checo Perez and Max Verstappen have had uh, in, in this year. Red Bull, you know, they, they've, they basically the conversation is, well, yeah, they, they've got some bugs and gremlins, but, uh, you know, Sergio and Max are having a much better year and Red Bull's having a much better year than, than Ferrari and Charles Leclerc and uh, Carlos Sainz. But when, when you see it that on paper, they're not really that far apart. But it, it's, it's funny, too, that some of these other ones... Kind Kind of fly underneath the, the 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 radar. Would you have known off the top of your head that uh, that Williams and Haas have had six DNFs each, and uh, Alpha had nine? Of course not. We'll see one of their cars pulling up to, to the end, uh, you know, edge of the track or being wheeled into the garage. But uh, you, you know, I'm just like, wow, those really tallied up uh, quickly. But the Aston Martin one for for me is interesting. I mean, they have five DNFs on the year for Lance and and Sebastian Vettel. 
but I feel like I'm just like, wow, that seems like a lot. But, you know, when you think about it and sort of like, yeah, that that number actually just seems to to jive. But then again, they've been such a, a disappointing team that I guess they're just not really getting a lot of the screen time. So maybe other than a couple of uh, brief words here or there, you know, you're not really uh, getting the, 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 the full story. Now, the final one is the percent of races with uh, safety cars or VSCs that uh, that are deployed onto the track at some point uh, on you know, during a race afternoon. And uh, this is uh, since the introduction of the safety car to Formula One way back in 1993. And some of these ones are a little bit uh, misleading. So at Miami, for example, every time we've had a Grand Prix in Miami, the safety car has always been deployed. And this is every time that they've had a Miami Grand Prix since 1993, which is one time <laughs> so that kind of skews that number a, a bit then you have uh, marina bay in singapore that is uh the, you know they've had one there every year so they're batting a thousand so that's uh 12 uh you know 12 races that there's always been a safety car jetta they're at 100 percent too because we've had two races there in saudi arabia and two safety cars or at least uh, a safety car vse during the section uh, Mexico has always had a uh, safety car. They're six for six. Uh, Baku, five for six. And then it kind of goes down from there. So the the, the tracks that have uh, the, the fewest, <coughs> pardon me, safety cars um, are Suzuka at 36%, nine of 25. Monza, 30%, nine of 30. Barcelona, also 30%, nine of 30. Imola, 29.4%, five out of the 17 of the races that they've had there. And the Hungara Ring, 26.7, only eight safety cars there in 30 races but uh, some interesting uh, numbers and just i, I mean it's, it's no surprise that the heavy ones like miami like singapore like jetta like uh, like baku all city circuits uh, which is interesting but then monaco which is you know, arguably the tightest windiest street circuit of them all that has absolutely nowhere to park your car should you need to is right middle of the pack at 55.2 uh, percent of the time 16 out of the last 29 races have we seen a safety car or a vsc at uh, at monaco some interesting numbers eh hammy yes yeah 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 <laughs> yeah so uh, another profound statement and again uh, this chart comes from the good uh, people at f1 underscore charts so that was a, a very cool one so yeah i guess uh, you know mark that that's uh, pretty much uh, everything that we have uh, for for this week um you know like i say i gotta replan my weekend here after you know falsely convincing myself that uh, the singapore grand prix was literally going to start with the practice sessions as soon as we would would, would uh, stop the recording here and we'd have something to look forward to obviously i was completely out of touch with that and so were you so i take a little bit of, of solace in the fact that uh, both of us were completely, uh, you know, I think I've missed this one. So, but on the other hand, it's kind of nice to have a couple of weekends off, you know, and uh, like you uh, mentioned off the top of the show, looking forward to that interview with uh, Kevin Clark from The Ringer that you did uh, record it uh, earlier right. today, in fact. Right. And uh, we will drop that on Monday. And uh, before we go, of course, you always have a special announcement uh, that you typically make at the yeah, show every baby. time each week. So, this is your tra- chance to jump in or forever 
ever holds this your peace. This is my moment of, of pleading. If you enjoy the podcast, and if you're still listening after an hour and a half, I assume you do. In fact, I should probably start making these announcements at the start of the podcast when everyone's still listening. But if you do listen to the podcast, if you listen on Spotify, if you can give us a rating, it means the world to both of us. And if you listen to this podcast on Apple using Apple Podcasts, a rating and a mini little review goes so far for both of us. And I cannot tell you what that does for the show from an analytics perspective. It really gives us a boost. It helps expose the show to more and more listeners, which is really our goal. Well, our goal is to continue delivering great content for existing listeners, but obviously we would love to add to to that base and introduce and invite more people to the community. So a rating or review would mean the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Ratings, reviews, comments, feedback of any kind, uh, you know, um, gratefully uh, received. And uh, you can also get in touch with us directly on Twitter at ScooterF1 Pod or email at ScooterF1 Pod at gmail.com. And that's it, sir. That's a wrap. Thank you again, Mr. Hamilton. Uh, this was fun as always. And thank you to all of you. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, we will be back on Monday. And of course, we will check in with you again this time next week for the next best episode of all time. I mean, the 375 episodes, I think, uh, in the catalog now. All of them classics. I say somewhat unconvinced of my own convictions, but there you go. Anyways, that's, that's it, guys. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again very, very soon. Bye for now.